Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. The bread of life became a man and experienced hunger. We can relate to your weakness and how you feel when your needs aren't being met. The light of the world stepped into our darkness. He could understand your dark days, your discouragement, your depression. And so he could be declared the light of the world and be our light in all things. And Jesus, the life, submitted himself to death so he could give you life and life more abundant. Sorry. Yay! He was bruised, beaten. He was hurt so we could be healed. He went through death, hell, and the grave so we could have life eternal with him. He was born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. This is the mercy of God. And in Max Lucado's book that I'm using as the framework for our series, Anxious for Nothing, he says we must celebrate not only the sovereignty of God, as we talked about last week, but we must celebrate the mercy of God, the mercy of God. If you have your notes, you'll want to get them out and uh, write some things down this morning. The presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. It's up to you. Because the Lord has given us doors that can be opened. He comes to break the chains of anxiety and discouragement and defeat and depression and doubt and a bunch of other D words. <laughs> he comes to give us life and life more abundant. And my prayer for you and for me is that in this season, especially in this chaotic world, we would find a sense of calm. Studies have been done that prove that the United States of America is the most anxious country in the world. And even in countries where they barely have food for one meal a day, if that, or a bowl of rice, or a bowl of oatmeal, or in countries where they have to travel miles, many miles, to even get clean and fresh water, their anxiety level is so much lower than ours. Where today after church, you're probably going to go home, get something to eat out of your fridge. Maybe you're going to go to a restaurant. Maybe you're going to go through Taco Bell drive through Boy, I should have bought stock. You ever drive there between 5 and 7 at night? Drive down 8th Street? It is around and around. I was actually there one night. I was just sitting in my car, and I was watching Taco Bell, I mean, for two and a half hours, nonstop drive through That's where you must like to eat. Good. Anybody go there? Come on. Yeah, you have to, because, yeah. has nothing to do with the sermon. I'm just bringing it up. And um, <laughs> When these less anxious, developing world citizens migrate to the United States, their lack of anxiety all of a sudden is changed. And our culture starts to wear on them. And they become people of anxiety as well. I don't know how many of you were here last week. And if you weren't, you can get the message online. It's worth listening to, I promise. 
the 1045 service was really good. That was my best one. And uh, I get, I, isn't it kind of vain? I get to pick which one I want of the three to be online. So I try to pick the best one. When all three are bad, I'm in trouble. And, uh, but we talked about the sovereignty of God. So you can go back and get that free at mylfc.com. Click on Church Online. All the messages are archived. And if you're not into that, they're also on iTunes at Lompoc Foursquare. You can get them there as well. But I, I, I did this homework assignment with you. Some of you did part of it in church and some of you took it home. It was the two circles that we had. We had the inside circle and the outside circle. And I, I got to spend some time with some friends of mine that don't attend church here. They live in Nevada and they, they came to visit me. And I gave them last week's sermon in the meeting. It was so cool. And they don't get to hear me every week, so they think I'm a big deal, and they kind of liked what I had to say. Some of you go, well, Bernie, he'll be back next Sunday, no big deal. But uh, I took a piece of paper with them, and on the paper, we wrote everything that they're anxious about. And then I said, take this assignment, do this, go home and do this. The stuff that's on the outside is the stuff you are not responsible for. Some of you did that assignment. For example... I am not responsible for the economy of the city or the county or the state or the country. I can't change whether or not the Fed raises the interest rate or whether it's a bull or bear market. It's beyond my control. Okay? I know some of you think I have the power to do that, but I don't. But what is inside my control is how I orchestrate and organize my own personal economy and the economy of my family. That is something I can do. I can keep my debt low and best if I don't get any more debt. And I can have a, a rainy day fund, and I can make sure that I'm living within my needs and not my greeds. That is what I can do. Outside of my control, um, when it comes to health, are my genetics and my age. I can't control either of those. I can't control the air I breathe because I don't make the air that I breathe, or the water I drink because I don't create the water I drink either. But what I can do is I can make sure that I eat right and I exercise, which Lord helped me in 2019. And I will do more of that. Okay, that's inside my control. Inside your control is love your neighbor as yourself. Outside your control is how your neighbor responds to your love. Huh? Well, my neighbor doesn't love me back. Well, that's outside your control. Give them to the Lord. Here you go, Lord. You know, pray it down. Lift it up. Here you go, Lord. I, I give you my, my neighbor. Does that make sense? Now, if you do this every quarter in your life, for the rest of your life, this will help you. A couple of people have done this with their teams at work, which I thought was really cool. Hey, what's inside our control as a team at work? What's outside our control? What's, what's, what's inside our control? Wherever you work, wherever you serve, it'd be good to get with your team and say, hey, what's outside our control? Outside our control is the economy. Inside our control is that we position ourselves to get the contract when it comes due. Outside is, is you know, what the powers that be decide. Inside is how we treat the powers that be. Come on. So you can do that. That's a great assignment. So let me get back to my message now. That was a review from last week. Thomas More said these words. It's a great quote. There is no way to re-enchant our lives in a disenchanted culture except by becoming renegades from that culture and planting the seeds for a new one. So here's what we're going to do in the next few weeks. We're going to be renegades. We're going to be rebels. We are going to fight the good fight of faith. And we are going to live counterculture. We're not going to let the culture that says we're full of anxiety come worry with us, <laughs> be a part of our lives. We're just going to simply say, I'm sorry, 
We're too busy following after Christ and his word and his will and his way to get wrapped up in all your anxiety. So, from the prison, not the palace, from the prison, Paul writes these words. Will you read them with me? Philippians 4, verse 4 to 7. Let's read. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4 is the passage I gave to my two dear friends. And I said, for the next 30 days, read this every day. So here's my prescription for you. For the next, till now in 2019 starts, read this passage, Philippians 4. I think one of the most profound passages in all of Scripture. And in it, we, we, we see these, these, these letters, C-A-L-M, CALM. And uh, CALM stands for these things to celebrate God's goodness, which we're doing again today by talking about his mercy. To ask God for help. You can't do it on your own. And to leave our concerns with God and to meditate on good things. This is the outline of Philippians chapter 4 itself. So when you read it, you'll see this is what the Apostle Paul is calling us to do. Now, what qualifies him by the power of the Holy Spirit to write to us about being anxious for nothing? Well, Acts 8.3 tells us just a little bit about who this man was. Paul was like a wild man, going everywhere to devastate the believers, even entering private homes and dragging out men and women alike and jailing them, all because of their belief, their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Max Lucado says that when you deal with guilt, and Paul dealt with guilt, you can numb your guilt, and America's good at that, with some substance or some forbidden internet spot or video pleasure or crossing lines somewhere in our lives or relationships. We can deny it. We can pretend it never happened, cover it up, rationalize about it, laugh about it. We can minimize our guilt and shame. It's not that big of a deal. Everybody does it. We can bury it with our work, with our schedule, with our kids' schedule. The busier we make ourselves, the less time we have to think about the stuff that we've done. Hmm. We can punish ourselves with destructive behaviors. We can beat ourselves, if not physically, mentally. We can avoid what we've done, never confess it to God, never ask for forgiveness, never fess up. We can blame it on everyone else, my parents' fault, neighbor's fault, government's fault, the teacher's fault. It's always the teacher's fault, right? Come on. We can compensate for it. Well, I'm guilty, but, but maybe I compensate for my guilt in an area by trying to be good, and I'll work myself. I'll do my, instead of community service, my godly service, and then he will wipe away all of my sins. Well, prior to meeting Christ, Saul, many of you know his story spent a lifetime trying to save himself by being a Hebrew of Hebrews, by being a Jew of Jews. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4 to 6, he says, if anyone ever had reason to hope that he could save himself, it would be me. If others could be saved by what they are, certainly I could be. 
For I was born into the pure blood-blooded blood, blood, uh, Jewish bloodline. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. My ancestry is better than yours. My ancestors are bigger than yours, better than yours. So I was real Jew if there ever was a real Jew. And what's more, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to every Jewish law and custom and sincere. Yes, so much so that I greatly persecuted the... the <laughs> And I tried to obey every Jewish rule and regulation right down to the very last point. The Apostle Paul, when he was Saul, had all kinds of diplomas on his wall and the blood of Christians on his hands. He was guilty. And I love what Acts 9 says. It's a lengthy passage, but it, it's, it deserves our reading today. It says, meanwhile, verse 1, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's believers, his disciples, his followers. And he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. That if he found any there who belonged to the way, those were followers of Christ, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell on the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And right away he knows it's the Lord. He doesn't say, who are you? He says, who are you, Lord? And Saul asked. And Jesus replied, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless, wouldn't you? Yeah. Because they heard the sound, but didn't see anyone. So Saul got up from the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. And so he was led by the hand into Damascus. And for three days, he was blind, and he ate and drank nothing at all. Now, Paul eventually has his sight restored, but it's more than his natural sight. It's his spiritual eyes are now open. And he heard the phrase from Jesus, why do you persecute me? Huh. You see in your notes, you could write this down, you'll never live in freedom until you realize what your sin and disobedience has done to the God who loves you. While Saul is persecuting people who follow Christ, Christ says, you're doing it to me. When we wrong someone, we're doing it to the Lord. When we hate someone, we're actually putting hate upon God who loves us and who cares about us. See, if you place your faith and hope in Christ, Jesus Christ so closely identifies with you that whatever hardship, persecution, or challenge you face, the things that create anxiety, he takes them upon himself. So when you blast out at someone, when you give them a piece of your mind, remember what we say around here, stop giving people a piece of your mind because soon you'll have no mind left. Pieces are going out. You'll think about it later. When we hurt people and wrong people, we're actually doing it in the Lord. But the opposite is true as well. That when you're hurting, the Lord hurts too. A Hebrew says we have a high priest who can be touched with our infirmities. When you're going through illness, when you're going through a, a season of lack in your life, when you're going through a time of guilt and shame, when you're going through difficulty or a hardship, can I tell you something? Part of our reason we don't need to be anxious is because the Lord goes through it with us. He feels what we feel. He knows what we know. So to be anxious for nothing 
I must, and write this down please, confess my guilt and surrender to a merciful God. Merciful God. I was in high school. I can still remember it like yesterday. I was driving my sports car. I had a uh, sunbeam. Some of you know what that is. It was pretty cool. It wasn't a mixer, sunbeam mixer. It was a car. Look it up online. It was cool. And I wish I had it today because they're worth a lot of money. Yeah. And it was fast. And when I got it, it was kind of faded red, and I painted it blue. Man, dark blue, and worked on it. Wire wheels. I paid 175 bucks for that car. I put 200 into it. Yeah, stereo, paint, and all. 200 bucks. $300. Sold it for 1000 I did really good. good. Good ROI right there. Come on now. I wish I had it today. And one night after a football game, I was driving home, Burbank, California, and I was getting a little fast, a little squirrely. Back wheels were spinning just a little bit. I think it was wet street, not my lead foot. And all of a sudden, I heard that great sound, whoop, 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 whoop. Anybody ever heard that sound behind you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the hands go 10 and 2. You know what you do, right? Put the flashers on. You pull over to the side. And the officer walks up, license, registration, and you guys watch live PD or something, right? Cops? Yeah. How many of you ever had it happen to you? Come on, confess. We're in church. Yeah, yeah. And so the officer gets my ID and starts laughing at me. Well, the reason he was laughing, his name was Fetterman with two T's, F-E-T-T-E-R-M-A-N. Fetterman, and I'm Fetterman, and we just, and I looked at his badge, and he, and we laughed. I said, oh, Lord, thank you. <laughs> the stars are aligned, and Jupiter's aligned with Mars, right? And I'm going to get out of this ticket, right? He goes back and scratches me a ticket. Excessive speed, writes down what I was doing. Exhibition of speed, because the tires were... Oh, my gosh. I thought, man, my parents are going to kill me. My insurance rates, come on. I'm 17 for crying out loud. So I decided, because we made the phone call, that I would go before the court. I could pay the fine or go to the court. This is before traffic school, everyone. That's how old I am. And I went to the courthouse with my mother, and all these people were standing there talking to the judge, and everyone was paying the fine. By the way, guess who was in the back of the court? Officer Fetterman. He's just standing there in case the judge wanted to talk to him. Guilty, guilty, guilty. And then I come up. <clears throat> he says, how do you plead? I said, Your Honor, this is pretty cool for a 17-year-old kid. I was guilty. I really don't know how fast I was going, but I was going too fast. It says here something about exhibition of speed. And the officer in the back said, yes, his wheels were spinning. I said, Your Honor, yeah, yes, they were. He goes, what do you say? I, I said, I'm guilty as charged. Now, you got to understand, I came to know Christ at 14, 15, 16, I'm 17. We're studying about the mercy of God. Propitiation, it's an old theological term. God took our place. Your Honor, I plead upon the mercy of the court. 
He said, young man, you're the first person that has admitted their guilt all day. So I have decided, since you have no priors, that I will let you go. I just quietly, Lord, thank God for your mercy, right? And I turn around, and I start walking out the big courtroom in Van Nuys, and I start walking out, and Officer Fetterman says, don't you dare speed again. Oh, yes, sir. And I heard the next guy talk to the judge. Your Honor, I too am guilty. No joke. I'm not making this up. This is not preacher talk. The judge said, I'm out of mercy today. (laughs) You will pay the fine. He hit the gavel down. Boy, I learned a lesson back then. I learned a lesson. I was guilty. By the way, there were some cheerleaders on the corner. I was spinning my wheels to try to impress them. And I didn't see, whoop, whoop, right there behind a school bus. By the way, school bus, you got you with me? The opposite football team was getting on the bus. I was in a school zone, school bus. Anyway, spinning my wheels, exhibition of speed. I was guilty and dead to rights. And the mercy of the judge. You know what I know about God? He doesn't say, I'm sorry, I'm out of mercy today. Lamentations. 322. You people have been in church a long time. are going to want to sing this, you know. The steadfast love of the Lord. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Remember that? Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is thy faithfulness. Now, if you're old like me, you've sung it before. If you've never sung it, this is something you should sing. God, your mercy is new every morning. It never has an end to it. But Bernie, you don't know all the stuff that I've done and I keep doing. Well, let me just remind you, though God doesn't like what you do, he really loves you. And he wants to give you mercy and forgiveness for all that you have done and all that you have ever done. Be anxious for nothing. Philippians 3, before the be anxious for nothing, we have Paul the apostle who says, but all things I thought were very worthwhile. Now I've thrown them all away so that I can put my trust and hope in Christ alone and become one with him. No longer counting on being saved by being good. Boy, I wish everybody in Santa Barbara County could get that. What are you going to do before you stand before God? I'm just going to be good as long as I can be good. Your good is not good enough. I just thought I'd tell you that. Because God is perfect, holy, and pure, eternal, and you are not. And you're trying to say, look, look what I did. I helped the kids, Lord. I, 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 I gave to my neighbor, Lord. Look what, I, look what I did. I was in the Rotary. I was in the Elks. I was in the Kiwanis. I, was, I went to church. God's going to say, yeah, and you had to hear that guy week after week. I'll give you mercy, but you're still not getting in heaven. <laughs> right? It's by our confession of who Jesus is. We can't earn our salvation. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. I can't be saved by being good enough or by obeying God's law, but by trusting, come on, Christ to save me for God's way of making us right with himself depends on, depends on faith, counting on Christ alone. It's Jesus, period, that saves us. See, guilt destroys the calm in your soul, but mercy restores it. God, I know I'm not good enough. 
And so I confess my sins to you and let you be my Savior. That's what Christmas is all about. Let you be my Lord, not just born in a manger, but born in my heart. Mercy. See, God's mercy is bigger than your sin. And if your sin disqualified you, then God's mercy has now requalified you. Some of us have been around long enough. We've done some stupid things. Don't raise your hand. Next service, I promise you. Eight o'clockers, we had a few in there. Before I could finish, their hands were already up, you know. We have been disobedient to God in our lives. We've thought thoughts we shouldn't think. We felt things we shouldn't feel. But God has the ability to, to flip the script, as it were, from how we think about ourselves, the lies that we believe. As we come to God and give Him our sins and confess to Him. By the way, we don't just do this when we get saved and never do it again. I've had discussions with Christians, smart Christians, who say, well, I gave my life to Christ and told him I was a sinner and I needed a Savior, and that settles it. I don't think that's what the New Testament implies. I think when John writes to us in, in 1 John 1, 9, he says, confess your sins. And he's just enabled, Jesus is just enabled to forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. And dear ones, I think we should be confessing all the time. Hey, Lord, I want to sit in your mercy and in your grace. Psalm 103, 17 says, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. You see, sin is a big deal. We don't downplay it. But God's mercy is a bigger deal. I'm not just saying that to make you feel good today. I'm saying that because it is true. I love what Max Lucado says. He says, a happy saint is one who's at the same time aware of the severity of sin and the immensity of grace. Sin is not diminished, nor is God's ability to forgive it. The saint dwells in grace, not guilt. And that's the tranquil soul. I've taken all my wrongdoing. All my disobedience, and I lay it upon the heart of the Lord. The same Paul, who was Saul, would write to young Timothy, and he would say in 1 Timothy 1, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Now watch this line. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world, Christmas, to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. He's not minimizing his sin. I'm the worst of the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now the king eternal, immortal, visible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. It's the mercy of God that causes Paul to, to finish out this portion of scripture with worship and praise. God has given me mercy and grace. The second thing I want you to see is to be anxious for nothing I must keep God's mercy in view, in front and behind me. The word 
mercy is a powerful word in both the Hebrew and the Greek. Let me give you some of the definitions. It means a ransom. You're being held and someone pays a price for you. That's the mercy of God. It means to take the place of another, the punishment of another. It means to love. It means to have compassion. And not just mercy, but a mercy that is shown. It's the word in the, Greek, in the Hebrew, many of you know the word hesed, which means goodness and kindness and loving kindness and being full of mercy and showing that mercy, to have pity, to be merciful. Now, theologians have taken this word mercy and defined it as the tenderheartedness of God, a loving compassion for his people. To look at the need of someone and meet that need. It's mercy that sees the misery of people and says, I will come alongside and take away your pain. This is what God has done for us. And Paul would later write in Romans 12, 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, with God's mercy in view, offer yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In view of what? Not God's wrath. Not God's anger, in view of God's mercy. So I need to keep God's mercy in view when I doubt God's love for me. Just look at God's mercy. When I think I'm really having a horrible, no good, very bad day, I need to stop and say, God, your mercy is greater than everything that I face. When I feel like giving up or throwing in the towel, I I stop and say, God, your mercy keeps me going. It's my strength, it's my impetus for striving forward when I'm having difficulty forgiving others. Oh, I'm not going to forgive them. Mm. Bah, humbug. You stop and say, Lord, but your mercy has forgiven me. But I feel like holding a grudge, I'm justified. (laughs) No, I'm not justified in holding a grudge because God let go of any grudges he could hold against me. He took my life. This is so beyond my ability. Maybe you could think about it, but it's beyond my, it makes my brain short circuit. He's taken my life and made me whiter than the snow. I'm not talking about the snow that's had chains and tires on it. That mushy, grayish, brownie, blackish snow. I thought, no, 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 that's slush. I'm talking about the falling white snow. And God says, I'll make you whiter than the whitest white. But Lord, don't you know what I've done? Yes, I do. Don't you know the power of the cross, the power of forgiveness? When I'm wrestling with doing what he asked me to do, I need to keep mercy in view. But not only mercy in front of me, ah, Psalm 23, 6. Surely goodness and mercy, What? will follow me. God is pursuing you with mercy. He's not coming after you with a club or a stick or chains. He's coming after you with mercy and freedom. I mean, dare we envision God following us, pursuing us, chasing us, tracking us down? Ask Moses. 40? (laughs) How long was Moses out there? 40 years. And God's tracking him down. And Moses looks over his shoulder and he sees God in a burning bush. Ask Jonah. Wrong way, Jonah. Running from God, Jonah. 
He's a fugitive on a boat. And when Jonah looks over his shoulder, he sees God there in the midst of the ocean. The disciples, rain-soaked and shivering out in a storm, and they look over their shoulder, and here comes Jesus walking on the water. John the Apostle, the island of Patmos, and he looks up and sees the clouds depart and looks into the heaven, and he sees Jesus there. And the list goes on and on of people that the Lord has followed and tracked down with mercy. The opportunity for God's mercy is still open to all of us. Fresh mercy today. So a couple of things. If you don't know the Lord, if you've never allowed God to forgive your sins, I'm just going to ask you a simple question. What's going to take care of your account? You're going to stand before a judge someday and say, I was really good, or I really didn't do those things. No. It was a day that I stood before the Lord, and I do quite often. I try every day to stand before God and say, God, I'm guilty. Mercy in the court of your justice, God. Huh? And the Lord says, Bernie, I've seen you here many times. <laughs> and I've forgiven you each time you come. But Lord, I was, I know. But God, I have, I know. And he applies the finished work of the cross to my life every time I come. His blood, his death, his stripes, his pain, his resurrection. My life, every time I confess. If you've not confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord, I'm going to encourage you the next 30, 40 seconds as we pray. Do that today. And if it's been a while since you've talked to the Lord and said, God, I've done some knucklehead things since we last had this heart-to-heart chat. I need your mercy. Let God's mercy flow. Because when guilt and shame starts to rise, so does anxiety. So does worry. So does a short fuse. So does an angry heart. So does an offensive spirit. And you stop and say, God, I want you to wash me whiter than the snow. Lord, this day, I pray for any who are here or watching online or in our cafe who have yet to give their life to you. We can't earn our salvation. The Apostle Paul teaches us that. But as we give our hearts and our lives to you, as we confess that you died for us, that you rose again from the dead, as we invite you into our lives, we can be saved. If you've never done that, I encourage you right now to just say to him, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you as a Savior. I believe you died on a cross. I believe you rose again from the dead. I want you to save me. And then I wonder how many of you would say, too, that you've allowed an unaddressed guilt to overwhelm your heart. You would confess and surrender every area to Christ and begin to thank Him for what He's done for you. And then I wonder if there's, in view of God's mercy, is there anyone that you need to be merciful to in this season? Who knows why they do what they do and say what they say? Who knows what is behind their pain and their hurt, their actions? 
but I pray that you would be a person that would rise up in the mercy of God and forgive them and then be merciful to them. And then I wonder how many people we know in our lives that need to know the mercy of God for them, that God is pursuing them too, that we could share the goodness of Christ coming to earth to be their merciful judge and set them free. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.